All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode, or will likely be episode 188. That remains to be seen. We're quite a bit ahead here. Uh, Jason Lingren is with me. Kurt Collin back is with me. On episode 183, we had Kurt on. There was a lot of interest in the information laid down there. So the reason we're doing this again is because Kurt wrote some letters to the National Security Council and care of Donald J. Trump, actor in chief, who incidentally human beings in this country, the United States, take no part in seating. The Electoral College does that. See past episodes. He wrote a letter, and it covers the ideas about a human being coming to exist at the zygote, when the mother and father's genetic material, for lack of better terms, comes together. Now, if you pick up a Black's Law Dictionary, just to preface what we're about to lay down, you're going to find a whole world you never knew existed. Go ahead, pick it up, look up the word birth, look up the word person, and you'll realize the language you've been speaking your whole life doesn't mean what you think it means once you get into officialdom or legal places where you are locked from behind the bar. Um, what we're going to do here is Jason is going to quickly read the first letter from Kurt to the National Security Council and the actor Donald J. Trump. This is going to be read because there are two speeches that followed in short order after this registered letter was received. And by the way, once a register letter is received, it, you can imply that it has been read. Um, that's the implication here. So before we get Kurt in here, just burn through it, Jason, and I'll, I'll do the header. This is to the National Security Council in care of Chairman Donald J. Trump at the White House. There's the White House's uh, address, and there is a letter assigned or a number assigned by the post office. And of course, 911 is in there. Go figure. Go ahead, Jason. And the important thing to keep in mind, as Crow and I had in a private conversation last night, the exact same word means very different things on the street and in law. So keep that in mind as you're hearing what we're about to go through here. Well, quite, quite often, just to put a fine point, when we speak, it means nearly the exact opposite of when you get into Black's Law. And Black's Law goes so far as to find living things as monsters in some places. Not kidding. But anyhow, go ahead. Dear Mr. Chairman, it has recently come to my attention that since the Lanham Act of 1946, the formal separation of church and state recognized by the Supreme Court in Everson v. Board of Education, 1947, and the National Security Act of 1947, it is imperative for one to specifically identify and declare one's true and uninterrupted paternal heritage in order to live peaceably within the official findings of Public Law 107-293 of the 107th Congress and one nation under God. One has already declared exactly that. 
One now sees that any second coming, nine months after the timelessness of one's biological genesis and true creative act of God, is a weapon of mass destruction, for it formally destroys one's entirety by physical avulsion via incomplete delivery of the conceptus, mass, member, measure, child, outside of the womb, clearly falling within the definition of genocide as of 9th December 1948, when the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide was adopted by the United States General Assembly as General Assembly Resolution 260. Again, the so-called birth date is a biological weapon. To wit, Article 2 of the Convention defines genocide as any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group as such. A. Killing members of the group. B. Causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. C. Deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction, in whole or in part. D. Imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. E. Forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. One has written numerous letters regarding such findings to both the Illinois Department of Public Health Director as well as the Secretary of Homeland Security proving one's own unbroken paternal nature, original package, as the port of entry to the new world only to be met with official silence. While one accepts such silence as full acquiescence, any forced use of such birth date or its individual name is an act of terrorism against a spiritual man such as myself, while undermining the national government of the United States, which requires the military to act upon such conduct as an act of war. Documents having such birth date or its prescribed individual name should be taken as proof of intent to destroy the biological species known as man and one's direct covenant with his creator, i.e. God. Yeah, that's a that's a hell of a letter. So let's get Kurt. Welcome back, Kurt. Hey, guys. How are you? We're good, man. That is a letter that you wrote and sent off registered to the National Security Council in care of the chairman, uh, actor-in-chief Donald J. Trump. And uh, let's quickly just delineate for people what the intent of this letter is from your point of view. It was to identify a break or a separation that is being used against a living man or a living being, I should say, to separate them from their true origin. And when I say separate them from their origin, I do mean the godly act of creation, which is an unexplainable fertilization process biologically, as well as the product of that fertilization, which is the zygote, which is the origin of the species of man. So if you abandon or lose your origin, you have neither God, the creator on your side, nor man, because man's abandoned as well. So man's rights are out the window the moment you abandon that first cause, that first act. So I'm so, identifying all that stuff, and I'm saying, listen, when you separate this stuff, you created a biological weapon. Okay, so let's be perfectly clear about what we're talking about. For people who did not catch episode 183 the first time we had Kurt on, Kurt endeavored to show the importance of claiming yeah. your entire lifespan, for lack of better terms. And I'm just speaking in the vernacular I'm familiar with, so don't try to hold me to some legal definition or play the overstand understand game. I'm speaking in a way that I intend you to understand here. Basically, as an example, which is when I met Kurt, I knew it was correct. When I was in South Korea, 
they're big on respect there. One of the ways they determine who's got the most respect in a group is how old are you and are you married? Those are two things often used to see if you're an elder, so to speak. It might be how we look at it. So the younger people, and it's not that they're less respected. It's just that society, it's like a ladder. You get your respect when your time comes until then you pour the drinks, basically. Um, I noticed that they were counting not their birthday, but their conception day. So each person there was nine months older than the state of California had led me to believe I was. And I never forgot that. And that's what this is about. In this part of the world, we abandon the idea that we had any life before we come through the birth canal. Is there anything you'd like to add? Because we got so much to get through here, Kurt. Why don't I just do this? The very first paragraph, I gave three points. The Lanham Act, the separation of church and state through Everson versus the Board of Education and the National Security Act. Why don't I just start there? Okay. Lanham Act. Most people don't, don't even know these things, but I'm going to read you, right? I'm just going to Wikipedia Lanham Act so everybody can follow me at some point. Civil enforcement of the Lanham Act. I'm reading verbatim now off Wiki. Don't attack me for Wiki. I don't care because this is actually U.S. code. Well, it's the, it's the publicly accepted narrative, so it's perfectly fine to reference it. Right. And these are verbatim. This is actually copyright off the U.S. code. So it says section 42 and 43 of the act. This is the Lanham Act, now known as 15 U.S.C., subsection 1124 through 1125. Here it is. The Lanham Act set out remedies that can be sought when a trademark is infringed. These provisions forbid the importation of goods, goods meaning many things, but it also means the unborn of animals, just so you know, importation of goods that infringe registered trademarks and restrict through the use of injunctions and damages, the use of false descriptions and trademark dilution. Here we go. 43A is the likelihood of confusion standard for infringement of an unregistered trademark or trade dress, and courts still frequently refer to the provision as Section 43A. And here's where it gets very interesting to me. 15 U.S.C. 1125, false designations of origin, false descriptions, and dilution forbidden. Goes on to say a civil action. One, any person who or on or in connection with any goods or services or any container for goods uses in commerce any word, term, name, symbol, or device or any combination thereof or any false designation of origin, false or misleading description of fact or false or misleading representation of fact, which is likely to cause confusion or to cause mistakes or to deceive as to the affiliation, connection, or association of such person with another person, or as to the origin, sponsorship, or approval of his or her goods, services, or commercial activities by another person, or B, in, in commercial advertising or promotion, misrepresents the nature, characteristics, qualities, or geographic origin of his or her or another person's goods, services, or commercial activities, shall be liable in a civil action by any person who believes that he or she is or is likely to be damaged by such act. That's what I'm going on there is because I know the word goods means the unborn of animals. Our origin is fertilization, not the birth date. Right off the bat, there's a misleading representation of our origin to, to confuse our stuff so with somebody else's stuff. So let's let's put this perfectly clear. Um, so basically, the record for almost everyone living in the United States called a birth certificate. That marks when you came through the so-called port of entry or the birth canal. It does not include the nine months that you were alive before that, right? Is that correct, Kurt? It's my belief that the birth date is a a gate 
I'm going to call it right at the cervix biologically, where that date can work both sides. If it keeps the fetus in the womb, if it's a terminal point, which it is, it actually it, it becomes an abortion. If it begins outside of the womb, then it's an incomplete delivery. Either way, the birth date works as an abortion by eliminating or arresting the forward progress of time of the, the living being. In other words, from fertilization to this moment on the phone, I've never died. I went from fetus to baby. I crossed over that, that Rubicon. I've crossed it. I, I lived. I survived. I'm not dead. A, a piece of me was not actually aborted. I just was not delivered the entirety of my property. So what they're doing is they're taking that piece of property undelivered, and they're creating a new person through the, the a legal term called born alive. Do you mind if I go over born alive real quick? Well, let's just be perfectly clear so people don't get lost. I'm assuming many have heard episode 183, but basically what we're talking about is there is no lie in nature. What Kurt just stated is no lie. We know certainly that Kurt is alive. He was delivered alive, that he is a living, breathing man. We know this. Yet we have these things called laws, which are legal fictions, which have set out to define him as other than a living, breathing man. So go ahead, Kurt. I did this about three or four years ago. I discovered the term born alive. And if you go to the uh, PCloud site that I offer everybody, there's a whiteboard presentation of born alive. But here's the definition out of Black Fifth, born alive, being the product of conception after complete expulsion or extraction from mother, irrespective of the duration of the pregnancy, which breathes or shows any other evidence of life, such as beating of the heart, pulsation of the umbilical cord, or definite movement of voluntary muscles whether or not the umbilical cord has been cut or the placenta is attached. Here it is. Each product of such birth is considered live-born and fully recognized as a human person. So everything out of the womb is considered a human person, baby and everything that follows. Each product. Now, here's the problem. Is, is it says being the product of conception. Well, I know that conception was redefined for the purpose of abortion. Conception now means once the, the conceptus is attached to the wall of the uterus, that's conception. It is not fertilization. The true origin of man is fertilization. So what they're saying is that the product of conception or, or the conceptus being lodged in the womb or the wall of the uterus, that's conception. So the product of conception is what's considered born alive. And the only product of conception is the placenta. That's well, the only that product of conception. We should point out the other thing. There's a perverse legal definition about when um, that little new life attaches back to the mother. Can you just quickly define that? Something like a monstrosity or, or some, some offensive language that identifies that this new living life inside the womb has now attached to the mother, so it's something other now? Oh, yeah. I, can't, I, can't, I won't be able to find that right away. Take a stab at it just to, to get the idea back out there. Um, it, it's all, is it a monstrosity or what's it? Do you remember the term? Well, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's a biological monstrosity because the placenta has two, two complete beings attached. It's like a Siamese twin. It has 46 chromosomes of the fetus, which are only the age of uh, or the age since fertilization. And it also has the 46 chromosomes of the mother. So the chromosomes of the mother are whatever the age of the mother is. So you get a true biological monstrosity in that placenta if it's considered one unit, which it is. Okay, so we've got so much. So the first letter, to pull everyone's mind back, Jason opened by reading the first letter that Kurt sent to the National Security Council. 
Now, while there's no way to prove these things, it is possible. Do you remember the date that you sent the first letter, Kurt? I'm sorry, I didn't write it down. Yeah, I got it right here. September 4th is when it went out the door of my house. And on the September 18th, it was received. Um, it was received. 2019, right? Or it was delivered, yes. It was delivered on September 18th, 2019, yeah. Sent registered. So as soon as the registration was satisfied, uh, it's assumed that that was read. So it is possible. And though we are not psychic and do not have crystal balls, we can't cite certainly that the two responses we're going to cite, one from the actor-in-chief, Mr. Trump, and the other from, what's the head attorney's title? You're talking about the attorney general? Yeah, the attorney general. Um, Which one of those two things would would be best for us to jump on first? I think we should finish just at least with the three points of the paragraph, if you don't mind. And again, understand that the the fertilized ovum or that that zygote, which turns into what's called a conceptus, is considered one singular package. And in 1827, just so you know, Chief Justice John Marshall delivered the opinion of the court. I'm reading this now verbatim, that Maryland statute uh, violated the import, export or commerce clauses. And here's what it says. He alleged that the power of the state of a state to tax goods did not apply to tax goods, the import of of unborn animals, did not apply if they remained in their original package. In other words, unbroken. Unbroken package is God's creation. That unbroken package is now only under federal small f rule. Small f federal is God's rule. So what they're saying is that no state, no state has any authority over an original package, which is the fertilized ovum called the zygote. That's where I'm going with this because we have to remain holistic or whole to retain our rights, that's R-I-G-H-T-S, in the world, the living world. That implies if you fit what you just described as a whole package and came through the port of entry or the birth canal, uh, you would be not subject to the legal fictions we call the law. Is that correct? That is true because, again, Title 22, uh, 288B says when, when an owner arrives with his baggage in effect, and I'm paraphrasing now, there's no duty and there's no IRS issues. So when the baby is connected to his remaining material, the, the fetal afterbirth, not, not the maternal, but the fetal, that is the owner arriving in connection with his baggage and effects. That's the original package. Once they break apart the package by avulsion, which is the, the, the cutting of the umbilical, now they, they've created a separation of church and state. That's what they're doing. Damn, man, this legal stuff is nonsense based on nonsense. Calling it a legal fiction doesn't even do it justice. But quickly, Kurt, burn through the rest of what you want to get out of this first letter. So now we have exactly the Lanham Act shows that it's the origin, the true origin. The second thing is is the uh, Everson versus that's the Supreme Court for the first time ever actually recognizing an official separation of church and state. And then finally, in the same year, one year later, the National Security Act, which actually created a separate organization or government for that material, for it. So now we've had a new government over that separation of church and state, creating basically a diplomatic position for one of those two things. I just call it Isaiah 9-6, where it says the government shall be upon his shoulders. Isaiah 9-6 is part of the separation of church and state, because Ultimately, it finished, the, the paragraph finishes this way. Uninterrupted paternal heritage in order to live peaceably within the official findings of public law, 107-293. That's the whole key. Public law, 107-293, that's where this whole thing goes. That's where all of your rights is located, are located. And if you don't understand, you're not trying to get out of the public. The public is 100% protected 
if they understand the, the I'm going to call it equity for lack of a better term, the deposit that was made in your name. If you realize you're not trying to get out of the public, you're actually completely protected by the United States in the public as long as you know your property. If you abandon your property, you are it, it becomes a bounty. This is the problem we had, that so many people had trouble following in the first one, though they found it interesting. You said there's this material that a new organization was set up to deal with. Is that material the placenta and the umbilical cord? Is that what we're talking about? Absolutely. The, the part right. that's been evolved or separated from the baby is now stuck in front of, in front of. That, that nine months in the womb is represented by a biological material, and that is the fetal afterbirth or the fetal part of the placenta, yes. Right. So we mentioned in 183 other cultures what they do with this material, which the legal definitions are trying to say, if you forfeit that, you're no longer whole. You don't come through the port of entry. You're lost at sea. Any number of things we could say. But as we posted 183, uh, an RN and a number of people that have to do with delivery of living human beings, because I'm going with nature here, they wrote and said, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I've been in all these delivery rooms. And yeah, they take that material off and one said they freeze it. And another person said they weren't sure where it went, but that's what we're talking about here. Is there anything else you need to extract from the first letter? Absolutely. Well, and you just brought it up because of midwives and, and those working in that. There is biological material called a cull, C-A-U-L, which is just a membrane from the baby. It is fetal membrane. It's baby's property, but it's called a cull, C-A-U-L. And, and I'm reading now the history of the call. It says the call would be then presented to mother to be kept as an heirloom. Now, this is the key, heirloom. The idea of an heirloom, it actually says the term originated with historical principle that an heirloom in English law, a chattel, which is by immemorial usage, was regarded annexed by inheritance to a family estate. Uh, loom originally meant a tool. Such genuine heirlooms were almost always unknown in, by the beginning of the 20th century. Let me say something about this. Heirlooms cannot leave the estate. Heirlooms, so in other words, if they take this call, if they take this biological material and put it on deposit, they're actually identifying your godly estate. It never leaves that estate. So if you're not connected to your heirloom, which represents your godly origin, if you've disconnected yourself, by claiming a divisional birth date, you now you are no longer party or uh, in an inheritable position to your estate, your gift, your gift from God. You've now separated yourself and become an individual at large out there somewhere. And because of that, a bounty has been placed upon that position. And, and, and there are privateers looking for that bounty. So now you're starting to understand what becomes of the so-called placenta, the call, and the umbilicus. But the thing that strikes me about the definition you laid out about the call or that membrane is it's called chattel. We've done plenty of shows. So there are legal definitions turning biological parts of a human being into something other. But I mean, I got to ask. If that's an heirloom, does that mean there's books like with pressed flowers, but instead of flowers, there's calls in it that are in people's heirloom collection? Okay, so think about this. They take a piece of paper or a piece of cloth or even just a piece of paper that is it is 100% cotton. It's no different than a cloth. And, and traditionally, what they would do is they'd rub that paper or that cloth on that material. And that material then becomes the heirloom. The very piece of paper becomes the heirloom. That is what we're talking about here. They're putting biological property on paper, and, and maybe it's a footprint. I don't know. 
What I'm getting at is they have established an heirloom that is abandoned. When we abandon the heirloom, it goes into a trust and they're protecting that heirloom property. The problem is, is by actually admitting to a birth date, we're walking away from our godly origin and the gift from God. We're doing it. Let's be clear about this, man. Only under the nonsensical legal fictions of a group of people who are trying to override what we can observe as true in nature. And I don't want that to get lost in the mix here. But, you know, when I was young, it was so common for people to have not only their little bronze first baby shoes, but inked footprints like a fingerprint from the moment of their birth. I don't know if that still goes on, but we need to keep moving along here. Is there anything else you want to extract out of the first letter? Because we need to show that it is possible that on reception or or, uh, when this register letter was received and read, that there are two speeches that followed that may be directly addressing these ideas, although we can't prove it certainly. So is there anything else we need to extract from letter one? Yes. Actually, the most important thing is Public Law 107-293. If you pull up that act, you're going to see something very interesting. It says an act to reaffirm the reference to one nation under God. This is the act that actually calls this one nation under God with, through the Pledge of Allegiance. And in paragraph three of that, it says in 1781, Thomas Jefferson, the author of the Declaration of Independence and later the nation's third president, in his work titled Notes on the State of Virginia, wrote, God who gave us life gave us liberty. In other words, There isn't any liberty unless we're a product of God. That's the point. If we're not godly, if we're not filled with the spirit of God or life itself, then our liberty, we don't have liberty. Liberty is not something that is legislated. It's automatic. We're born with it unless we give it away. Wait wait, wait, wait a minute. Let's address that one more time. I'm calling poppycock all day long. It is true (laughs) that we are bound by these legalistic ideas because we use the systems that these legalistic ideas, these legal fictions have authority over. That's a fact. But the truth of it is nature shows us no lie. And we all know that every single living human being is basically the same. They have the same rights that regardless of what the laws do. So what this comes down to is almost in a simplistic way, whatever you can convince a human mind to accept is correct, uh, then becomes the operating plan, whether it ignores nature or not. And from my point of view, Kurt, Every damn thing about these legal ideas is ignoring nature or even worse than that, trying to seek a clever way to undermine what's naturally observable. You and I are on exactly the same page. The problem is, is they're using science. They're saying that everybody, every, everything I'm saying can be scientifically proven. Our origin begins at fertilization. Even the Pledge of Allegiance, when it talks about that nation, that nation under God, the very next word is indivisible. And then indivisible is very simple. Let me find the definition for indivisible. It says consisting of one whole. Well, there's, there's the baby and the umbilical and the fetal property. One whole whose parts cannot be divided or treated individually. So the fact that there's an incomplete delivery means that there's a part of you hanging out there that has yet to be claimed. That part is what we're talking about. One did, nation did, under God, indivisible. Do you suspect someone can make a claim now and go back and get that part? <laughs> well, you don't have to. You just have to identify your godly origin or the, the fertilization as your origin. And then the Lanham Act kicks in and overrides all of the fictitious nonsense that you've been railing against. All right. I'm, I'm with you all day long that it should just be a state of mind. What we need to do here is get to the letters. So everything you've just heard was derived from the first letter that Jason read when we opened, delivered to the National Security Council and Mr. Trump. 
to be polite about it. But there are two responses here that it is possible on reception of that letter and someone having read it that these speeches are somehow addressing the ideas that are being reclaimed through the work that Kurt has done here. Now, which one of these letters came first, the so-called home or the President Trump? And the one I, I noticed first, and I believe it is first in time, is the Attorney General William P. Barr's delivery to the law school at Notre Dame. All right. So to law school at Notre Dame, we're going to jump six or seven pages in here. So to be perfectly clear, Kurt drafted a letter. Jason read it at the opening of this. It was sent to the place I told you. It was registered. So when it was received, it was known. Once a registered letter is received, it is presumed read and digested. How many days later, roughly, are we talking when this speech occurred from the attorney general? Well, we got what September eighteenth. It was delivered. My letter was delivered, and on on October eleventh, Attorney General was addressing this this audience. All right. So from the eighteenth uh, of September and twenty nineteen to the eleventh of October, where this is drafted, um, Jason, I'm going to get you back in here. Um, can we pick up? You you're still finding the uh, paragraph that starts with something happened on the so-called home document. So why don't we pick up there and just quickly burn through? Well, here's the problem. We're going to have to say a few things about this as it goes on. The implication here is that the ideas expressed by the attorney general after the receipt of this letter, it's hard to deny that the ideas are not one-to-one. Now, to actually openly claim that this letter caused this speech is a bridge too far, clearly. So we're going to leave this up to the listener to decide how much bearing the letter had on the speech. But nonetheless, the ideas are verbatim one-to-one. What do you think, Jason? Should we pick up at paragraph one that starts something and follow it all the way down to, I think, a little bit further down to similarity to the military seculists? But we're going to have to say a couple things about a few of the paragraphs. So just go ahead and burn. Something happened recently that crystallized the difference between these moral systems. I was attending Mass at a parish I did not usually go to in Washington, D.C. At the end of Mass, the chairman of the Social Justice Committee got up to give his report to the parish. He pointed to the growing homeless problem in D.C. and explained that more mobile soup kitchens were needed to feed them. This being a Catholic church, I expected him to call for volunteers to go out and provide this need. Instead, he recounted all the visits that the committee had made to the D.C. government to lobby for higher taxes and more spending to fund mobile soup kitchens. Let's just jump in there and to reiterate, this is the attorney general giving the speech on October 11 after the letter was received on September 18. And I would point out, man, this is so ludicrous. Couldn't the Catholic Church melt down one of its golden statues and have as many damn soup kitchens as they wanted? <laughs> go, go, go ahead. It's just also ludicrous. Go ahead, Jason. A third phenomenon which makes it difficult for the pendulum to swing back is the way a law is being used as a battering ram to break down traditional moral values and to establish moral relativism as a new orthodoxy. Law is being used as weapon in a couple of ways. Let's make the point here. This is exactly what Kurt is pointing out in not only his first letter, but his second. If you go back to 183, episode 183, this is what it's all about. Legal fictions being used to override what is truly naturally observable to reclassify a human being as lost at sea, without breath, not living not in line to receive the rights they think they're all these ridiculous ideas. Go ahead, Jason. 
First, either through legislation, but more frequently through judicial interpretation, secularists have been continually seeking to eliminate laws that reflect traditional moral norms. At first, this involved rolling back laws that prohibited certain kinds of conduct, thus the watershed decision legalizing abortion, and since then the legalization of euthanasia. The list goes on. More recently, we have seen the law used aggressively to force religious people and entities to subscribe to practices and policies that are antithetical to their faith. Let's jump in right here and point out things that have happened recently. I am told, I haven't looked this up in the state of California, behind closed doors, some inoculation laws went into effect. This It doesn't matter what your religions are or what your faithful beliefs are, you're getting stuck with a needle now. And there are plenty of examples that back up the statement the attorney general is making, although I guess any of us could logically work out. Why is the attorney general commiserating about all these horrible things? He's the damn attorney general. You see what I'm getting at here? Go ahead. The problem is not that religion is being forced on others. The problem is that irreligion and secular values are being forced on people of faith. This reminds me of how some Roman emperors could not leave their loyal Christian subjects in peace, but would mandate that they violate their conscience by offering religious sacrifice to the emperor as a god. So let's jump in there. It's kind of ironic that any of this is written in the past tense. The ideas being expressed here are a one-to-one link with what we've shown has come out of Rome. So here again, we have a man enforcing the Roman ideals that have come forward and acting like somehow these poor people are being put upon. It's never stopped, has it? Well, I think the religious sacrifice to which he's referring is the only one that's ever spoken of in the New Testament. That's all I really got to say. Well, the point I would make is that if we are to accept what we've been handed about these ideas, the Christians would have never had any intention of sacrificing anything to a false god called an emperor, and yet they were being forced to do so. And that's almost a one-to-one allegory for what this fictitious law is seeking to do with the conception of a human being, claiming somehow that when they're born, (laughs) all these legal ideas have turned them into a ghost or some nonsense. Ah, the sacrifice of the firstborn, yes. There it is. In the New Testament, wouldn't Jesus be the sacrifice? Well, that's, that's exactly what's being sacrificed because Jesus, and again, not to step on toes, but Jesus is the presence of mind. It is, in fact, Jesus, the crucifixion was held where? Golgotha. What's Golgotha mean? Skull, head, mind? Right. So that's what's being sacrificed is the mind itself, which is also why you see the crown of thorns. It's no different than a, a fence around the brain, around the mind. Well, you'll also see that um, when you get past the surface reading of many of these old scriptures, there's many levels of meaning there. Why do you think they call the space on the side of your head a temple? Why do you think it tells you to look for the kingdom of God within? These ideas are just lost because typically the man in black in front doesn't understand what he's reading um, because he's just going for the surface narrative. But go ahead, Jason, carry on. Similarly, militant secularists today do not have a live and let live spirit They are not content to leave religious people alone to practice their faith. Instead, they seem to take a delight in compelling people to violate their conscience. For example, the last administration sought to force religious employers, including Catholic religious orders, to violate their sincerely held religious views by funding contraceptive and abortifacient coverage in their health plans. Similarly, California has sought to require pro-life pregnancy centers to provide notices of abortion rights. I want to make a point here. 
these are hot button topics. Anytime abortion or any of these ideas, health plans comes up in the news, man, them's fighting words because the red guys don't want what the blue guys want. And that's just another level of construct to keep everyone fighting. One of the points that people miss often is for any of these ideas to be put in health plans or legislated in any way is to put legal definitions on words, what abortion means, what birth means, what all these things mean. And that's where the legal fictions are created. But Kurt, I don't think we need to plow much further, do we? I think the word abortion should be at least explained. Abortion has lots of different meanings, but number one, it says the mishappened thing or person, monstrosity. So the abortion is everything left behind that is not human in and of itself, meaning that two humans mixed together is not human. It's a monster. But the number three definition is the most important because an abortion, by definition, is the arrest of development resulting in imperfection. So if they stop the development or to stop the forward progress of the material by cutting it off, once they sever or evolve the material from the umbilical cord back towards the placenta, it becomes an abortion. That's why they call it an abortion on demand. The moment we claim a birth date, we abort the progress of, the, of what's remaining that's connected to it. It stops moving through the cervix in time with us. It never passes the cervix. It is the unborn forever. It's the unborn forever. Right. In, in in the minds of everyone, I just want to keep stressing it. In the real world, that is all nonsense, poppycock, and a lie. Um, it's just not true. But uh, I'll, I'll add before we move on, uh, everyone should have a new view of Mary Shelley's, Shelley's Frankenstein, right? What's really funny is in my third letter to the uh, Homeland Security, I used Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as an example. Of course, because that was written in and around the circles of power. All the classics have come from in and around the circles of power. I guess average people never write things that matter. But my point here is, is typically when we talk about the guy with the bolts on his neck, we call that Frankenstein. That is not Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein's monster. So if you don't <laughs> think the ideas being expressed here are being reflected in that tale, I got news for you. And in that tale... It's almost Promethean in its, you know, oh, now a human being can create life. But even by the legal definitions, that's not life, man. That's a monster. That is a hodgepodge of dead things, basically. But is there a reason to go further into the second letter, Kurt? No, he's made it very clear. Their position is, I mean, it's pretty obvious based upon what you guys even read, that they know there's a weapon out there being used. They know Are, there is. Right. And and it's admitted outright. Now, when we get episode 188 up, I'm going to take these PDFs and I'm going to link them in the comment section under 188 for members. I'll try to make them available in other ways, but I just don't even bother to post on YouTube anymore. What's the point? Who knows if the content will even be there tomorrow or if it's being shadow banned. So I just, I'm not putting effort into that, but there is another letter from President Trump, which also may be addressing the ideas that were expressed in Kurt's first letter. And though, again, we have no crystal ball to prove this is true, we can show pretty compellingly that the ideas match one-to-one. -one. Can you tell us when the Trump speech was given? United Nations General Assembly, it would have been the New York session, um, but I don't have a date here. This is fairly recent. I mean, it's within the last month for sure. Okay, so right now we're on the first day of November 2019. Within the last month, you can do the math. So 
after the register letter has been received and presumably read, what are the important parts of this letter as a possible reply to the provably concerning ideas of your first letter? I think w- what caught my eye right away was the fact that the, the, the word abortion on demand, second paragraph down, that right there, by claiming the birth date, you abort the remaining material, you cut it off. So we're actually participating. I, I, I get it. I know this is all nonsense, but this is what's being used to against the masses of the people. And by admitting to a birth date, what we're doing is we're actually proving our insanity. We're, we're making the claim that we're all insane because we don't know our, our origin. That's what they're using against us. And they have the evidence of it by us being unable to go all the way back in time to our origin, which is fertilization. So this abortion on demand is what caught my attention right up until the moment of delivery. Now, the medical definition of delivery is the fetus and its membrane. That's the definition of delivery, which means that if we abort at the, if we cut off the umbilical, then the fetus and its membranes are not actually being delivered. Something is being withheld. I think the key points you're making here you know, human beings learn by observing other human beings, don't they? That's why television and movies are so dangerous, because those are representations, false as they are, of other human beings doing things. It's why when you watch violent movies, at first they're shocking, and after you've seen it a thousand times, it's desensitized you to such things. It's how it works. But my point is, you could take the royalist, supposed royalist prince in the royalist bloodline existing in the United States, and if you raised that young human being called a prince supposedly on lies guess what when he came to the age of consent his head would be full of lies so i think that needs to be a clear distinction because that's basically what's happening here you're being judged as if you're not even godly enough to understand where you came from when where you came from has been hidden as closely guarded as secret as could be the things that put you up to the legal standards they're aiming for, you've been coerced into, or worse, they've been set like bear traps that you couldn't possibly have detected. So that's the farce of all this. So to get back to this possible response to your first letter from Trump, what are the important parts of this letter we want to pull out before we move on? The ultimate and only that people need to focus on is the very title of it itself. His, his words right out of his mouth verbatim, every child comma born and unborn comma is a sacred gift from god the key is born and unborn because the reality is from fertilization to the birth date is the unborn and then from that date to this moment as i speak to you is the born and yet there there's only one timeline there is no born slash unborn there is the unborn in the womb through the cervix to this point in time it's, it's all one thing, but they're separating the unborn from the born by a birth date. That's the point. If you know your origin and you can stand on it from this point in time, which is the present, you are connecting the unborn, all of the forgotten time from fertilization in the womb, which is also evolution, to all of the time outside the womb beyond the cervix, which is this moment in time right now. There is no born and unborn separately. We exist as unborn from fertilization to the cervix, out of the cervix as baby, into this moment as a full-grown man. There is no born and unborn as a separation, which is what they're creating with the birth date. That's why his words are the most important thing to see. All right. I agree with you wholeheartedly, and it goes to underscore how powerful an idea is, how powerful knowing is. In some ways, to 
give a damn about the law enough to try to change it is simply to change your mind to say, no, man, I was created at the zygote. I was nine months alive and then passed through the birth canal. Just that simple recognition and claim, if any of what we have laid down here is accurate, basically undoes it all. It doesn't stop the systems that are trying to undermine nature. But would you agree with that, Kurt? Yes, because in his own words, the word gift is being used, and the definition of gift implies a completed delivery, which means that we don't receive our gift from God because that property, all of it, our entire godly estate has been cut away from us or a vault. So again, the definition of gift is completed delivery, which means if we don't have all of our stuff, the gift was never received by us. That is what's going on here. They're holding back a piece. You could call it larceny. You can call it a lot of things. But by holding back or retaining that piece for themselves or whoever's doing this has now not allowed us to receive the gift, which is a completed delivery from God of the unborn through the birth canal into the world of the born. We're not getting everything that we're supposed to be getting in the hospital. Man, I'm going to have to modify a thing I say a lot. Words have meaning. I'm going to have to add both fictitious and true to make the point, you know, universal. We should probably recap. That was a lot of information and a lot of it was very technical sounding. So, Kurt, do you want to explain in the simplest terms possible what we just went through in 45 minutes? Yeah, I'm going to not I'm not even going to do it. I'm going to use the words of the Secretary of State of the Holy See. I'm going to use the Vatican's Council or the Vatican's verbiage to explain what's going on here. It says, this is verbatim, this is out of the uh, Every Child Born and Unborn is a Sacred Gift. This was actually held at that same meeting. The right to health is in fact universally recognized as a basic human right and is understood as comprising the health of a person as a whole and of all persons during all stages of development of their life. The right to health is thus inextricably linked to the right to life, and it can never be manipulated as an excuse to end or dispose of a human life in whichever point in the entire continuum of his or her existence, they say from conception until natural birth. Again, they're hiding behind the definition of conception, meaning implantation, because these guys know fertilization is the whole story. All right. Let me ask two questions that I hope you're going to follow me on just so people understand. My name's Crow. I'm a living man. Kurt, from a natural world perspective of what you can observe to know is true, am I whole and living? Absolutely. It's self-evident to me and to you. All right. Now put on your black dastardly hat and become the head lawyer in the United States. My name is Crow. I'm a living man. Am I whole and living? What's your date of birth? Well, I know what you're doing here. You're setting me up to wring my own neck. So what I'm going to say is the day I was conceived. Be careful. Okay, let me rephrase that. Yes, fertilization, not conception. Right. When fertilization occurred at the zygote, which I'll refer to as today, am I whole? Absolutely. All right. When I was born in 1963, when I entered the world through my mother's birth canal, am I whole? By using the word born, B-O-R-N, absolutely. All right. How about if I said when I was delivered? Yeah. Delivered doesn't have the same connotation as delivery. So the idea of delivery implies complete 
or whole. Delivered does not. So upon delivery, I would say yes. All right. You're, so you're, let's, you're, you're let's approach another idea here that's a little out of the bailiwick, but a lot of people have done work to show what it means to register a thing. Many people will make the argument, and I think it's compelling, that when you register a thing, you've basically surrendered ownership, and what you get in return is a certificate that allows you to use a thing, like your car. One of the examples cited was, how in the hell, if parents own their children, can a social worker come in and remove them from the home? One of the attempts to explain how that's done from a legal standpoint is the birth certificate. That was a registration, at which time the actual ownership of the child was given over to the state or wherever, and that's what allows a social worker. Do you think there's any merit behind these ideas that the act of registering a thing, which if you were delivered whole by the definitions we read, you wouldn't have to register anything, would you ever? It's the other people that have to register and get that certificate. So do you think there's any merit there that that birth certificate is actually demonstrative of a registration that surrendered ownership in some way? Yes, but not ownership of the baby. That's where people are so confused. There is no registration for me, the man, or even as the baby. The registration is on the baggage and effect. The registration is on that afterbirth or the placenta. It's not on us. Therefore, we're not registered, but a piece of us is registered. Well, wait a minute. That, That means the placenta, umbilicus, and the call have a name, have a legal name then. And that legal name is the certificated person, yes. It's the title over that property. That's the title over that property is the certificated name. Yes. God, this is so convoluted. I'm, I'm not even going to go down that road. I was going to, okay, he called it a title. Well, not everybody's entitled to own things. You've got to be, have a title or be entitled to own things. But Jason, is there anything you want to get in? I know we're getting close. Do you want to get something in here? Well, we should probably tee it up for hour two because we're right at the mark here. Let's put down what we're going to get into for hour two. All right, here we go. There is a second letter sent by Kurt Kallenbach to the National Security Council and uh, Donald J. Trump at the White House. It was sent registered as well. And it is quite a letter. And again, we can't certainly exclaim that the first letter was the cause for the two speeches we referenced, but we can certainly all day long show that it's the same ideas. And the fact that they're so closely aligned with registration, delivery, and presumptive reading of the letter and the delivery of these two speeches, which are dealing exactly with the ideas in the letter, it's compelling to me, which is why I wanted to cover it, but maybe not as compelling as the ideas under it all. The second letter is so well written that I wanted to include it. And here's the thing. If any of this is accurate, and I have every reason to believe that the idea of the nine months delivery as a whole, we can demonstrate this in older cultures that never gave up um, what happens during birth. And it's only the time since we've had things like the Census Bureau, we quit writing our names in Bibles and we were you know, the government did a census and pretty soon there's hospitals and delivery rooms and all these rules about how a birth has to happen. That's where we were separated from how still today there are older cultures in this world that count their existence nine months longer than people in the United States do that actually take possession of the placenta, the umbilicus and the so-called call um, and do things that are, I'll say, customary that their culture has made customary in the many 
presumably hundreds of years that culture has been around. As we get into the second letter that Kurt sent, it gets very interesting. Kurt, I'll give you one more shot. We're almost out of time. Would you like to add anything before we wrap up our one? Yeah, I'm going to go with some verbiage out of uh, Landman's legal handbook called Split Estates and Surface Access Issues. This is paragraph three. It says the term split estate is used when the surface estate and all or part of the mineral estate in a particular parcel are not owned by the same party. The act of creating a split estate is referred to as severance. The surface and mineral estates are severed. I'm going to leave it at that because this is this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the surface, which is your father's legal name, and the mineral estate, which is what's being mined. I'm going to say it that simple. It's being mined. So the, the split estate only exists by the existence of the birth date separating the unborn from the born. It's a severance. It's a severance. If what you're pointing out here is correct, it's almost unimaginable. But at the end of the day, uh, in the back of my mind, I wonder, is there any so-called legal entity when faced with these ideas would even recognize them? I don't know the answer to that, but I think what we're laying down here is compelling. And the only reason that I immediately latched onto this is because I knew your argument for the first nine months was accurate. I could prove it in a real world. Jason, anything you want to get in before I wrap it up? I really do hope that everyone's understanding what we've laid down so far and what we're trying to get at with all of this. And of course, we're going to break it down more in hour two. But between the first episode we did with Kurt and this one, I hope it's really becoming more clear what exactly has been done to us and what's going to be continually done to us unless we do take personal action against all the legalities that are coming down like a hammer on us. You know, at this point, Jason, it almost feels to me like the remedy is simply a change of mind. If you could snap your finger and have a few million people claim their existence since the zygote, would that break the system? And then I have to ask on the tail of that, is this system factually, actually existing in the way we're defining here? These are big questions, but I think it's important to get them on the record because we know certainly from all our law series and everything else that there are different classes of human beings. And unfortunately, most of us listening to this are of a class of human being because of legal fictions that are entitled to very damn little. And we can be tased, we can be jailed, we can have our children taken, just any number of things, which in this century seems a bit archaic. But anyhow, that does bring our one of episode 188 to a close. I want you to come join us all over at Crow Triple Seven Radio. It's a free speech zone. So many things we had to moderate in the way we deliver them. That does not occur in the second hour. But what we have to do is find a balance of how we speak so that as many people as possible can at least have the opportunity to consider these ideas. There are not a heck of a lot of people in the world, maybe none, covering the things we're covering here. So please come join us over at Crow777Radio.com in the free speech zone for the second hour of episode 188. There it is, man. Cheers. Cheers.